As I was sitting preparing this yesterday, Simon put his head around the door and said two words. He said, short and simple. And I'm not quite sure if he was describing me <laughs> or if that's how he wanted the talk to be, but we, we go for both. <laughs> Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you love the short and the simple and the tall and the wise and all, all the rest of us. And as we look to you this morning, may our faces become radiant with joy. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Just going to raise this up a little bit. I'm not as short as I thought. That's it. Thank you. Well, it was a hot and balmy evening rush hour in Singapore. And it was the evening before Paul and Beeman's wedding. And as with many families, probably at this moment, things were a little tense. As a family member, who shall remain nameless and not her fault at all, still needed to choose her shoes to go with her outfit the next day. And it was quite a major part that she was playing. Choosing shoes for some of us was the best of fun, even though it was under pressure. While other family members saw that the greater need was to get to the church on time in order for the wedding rehearsal, because the band had to practice and, and so on. So, we ended up getting two separate taxis. The get me to the church on time contingency getting in one and the happy shoppers arriving a little bit late, but it, it was all right in the end and very happy with our purchase. And it was all very ordinary. And most of us were dressed in jeans and t-shirts and um, shorts, some of us, because we were really hot and sweaty. It was just close. Um, but there we were, family gathered in church for the wedding rehearsal. And fresh from the rush of these last minute events, I was completely unprepared for what happened next. Simon went to the front of the church, brought us all to order. And for me, the most astonishing thing happened. <laughs> because within minutes, there were Paul and Beeman in their shorts and t-shirts at the front, saying the most profound things to one another. They were saying their wedding vows with such love and joy. And although it was just the rehearsal, I was completely caught up in that moment. And all the angst and stress that went before faded. And I felt this big thing, right? It was like a big sob rising within me. And I, I suppose now I'd look back and say, well, that must have been joy. But, but there it was. And I thought, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. <laughs> but there it was. And there was no white dress yet. No suits, no buttonholes. The shoes were still in the bag. Um, it was the background of simplicity and ordinariness that made them and their words stand out and shine for all they were worth. And I couldn't take my eyes off them. All that happened before, the traveling, the shoes, the stress, was no longer important. And it was the beginning of our focus on what we were really there for, to be with Paul and Beeman at this moment, 
and focus on the promises that they were going to make to one another in God's presence. Look, says Luke, come and be caught up in this moment where two ordinary women who are cousins, Mary and Elizabeth, meet. Nothing seemingly out of the ordinary here, but both are shining with the joy that awaits within them. Listen, says Luke. Listen to their words. Listen to their greeting. Set on a background of hills among people who have lived and waited and watched and hoped and prayed for the Savior to come in their lifetime. And we read that Mary got ready and hurried to the hill country of Judea. And it's been suggested that maybe Mary was sent to hide her shame, as we know that Joseph was initially planning to divorce her quietly. And maybe her family found this all too hard, that suddenly this unmarried girl was pregnant. But I think for me, for Mary, there is a strength and a yes to God's invitation and an absolute acceptance of her situation doesn't mean to say that she wasn't without her fears, but I think there's a strong yes. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May your words to me be fulfilled. So I think she was hurrying to meet Elizabeth because of the news that Elizabeth was already six months pregnant, a miracle in itself. And perhaps she was longing to be with the one person who would really be able to rejoice with her. But this journey for Mary would have been long and tiring. And we're not told how she traveled. But in those days, people tended to make long journeys together in groups, almost like a human train. And they would have watched out for one another, slept close together in groups at night, eaten together, lit fires to keep warm and to keep wild animals away. And I think this journey would have given Mary time and space to really begin to ponder this thing that that was happening to her. And I wonder what her thoughts might have been. Maybe time and time again replaying that angelic visit, as we do when we've had a surprise or a shock, we need to replay it in our minds. Did the angel really say, Did I really say yes? Did I I really? Was it real? Did I dream it? And remembering Joseph's response to her situation of their future together, what did it mean to her to be carrying the Son of God? What would his life be like? What would her responsibility be like as a mother? I probably read this poem every year, but I love it. And it's short and it's simple. Um, It's a poem by Michael Simmons Roberts, and it's called I Feel the Rush of Gabriel's Wings. I feel the rush of Gabriel's wings, the shock that he should kneel, the whispered question. I sing prayers into myself, share my days, my fears with him. Helpless master, 
unmade maker, God and man, my son and my father, carried in me, weightless, faceless, Lord of life, of seas, skies, and stars. And so the two women meet. And Mary enters the home of Zechariah the priest and his wife Elizabeth, who we are told are both very old. That probably means they're 50. I don't know. <laughs> Zechariah has been struck dumb because of his disbelief in the angel Gabriel's message. And his previously barren wife, Elizabeth, is now in her sixth month of pregnancy. We know that Mary greets them. We don't know what she said. Was it you or was it, <laughs> hello, it's me? We don't know. But as soon as Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting, the baby within Elizabeth's womb leaps. And here is another shining moment. It is as if, as if John the Baptist is already proclaiming his excitement in the womb. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Another shining moment. And how beautiful Elizabeth's words must be to Mary as filled with the Holy Spirit in a loud voice she proclaims, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why should I be so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And if the Annunciation was the moment of God planting the seed of our salvation, my salvation, your salvation. Then this moment surely is springtime, the greening of the tender shoot of our salvation. Yes, it is true, says the Holy Spirit through Elizabeth. The Savior will be born. And this is the moment where the promises of the prophets the announcement of angels are confirmed by two women in waiting who confirm and celebrate that all has, God has promised and prepared through the ages is tangible and true. And sometimes we miss this moment at Christmas. We, we can go from the Annunciation through to the journey to Bethlehem. But Luke wants us to stop on this hill town for a while in Judea, on our way to Bethlehem, in order to share in their excitement and to understand that this is indeed the promised one who comes for us. And if we think of the Annunciation again as being the moment where God's seed of salvation was planted for us, then Mary's song, the Magnificat, is also our song of joy, not just Mary's, but ours. And I wonder how you can contain the Son of God and not explode with joy. And I had a look at a few YouTube films just to see if there was an explosion of joy. And actually there wasn't. 
it was all very serious, and the Magnificat was read um, like scripture, um, very slowly, very quietly. But we're told in the scripture that Elizabeth's um, proclamation, she said in a loud voice, and um, so I couldn't find anything that I was quite looking for. Brenda read it most beautifully. Thank you, Brenda. And the Magnificat is something that's so well known to us. It has been whispered in monasteries, chanted in cathedrals, recited in small remote churches by evening candlelight, it is set to music by Bach, and in the hymn by Timothy Dudley Smith, Tell Out My Soul, which we'll be singing later. And it contains scripture, the ancient dreams of Israel, that one day Israel's God would do what he'd promised to do for the earliest ancestors, that all nations would be blessed through Abraham's descendants. And in order to do this, powers that kept the world in slavery and poverty would need to be toppled. And Mary would have known her scriptures. They'd be so familiar to her. She would have lived them and soaked them up. And almost every word is a biblical quotation. Some of it's from Hannah's prayer in 1 and 2 Samuel, which begins, My heart rejoices in my Lord. And there are verses from Isaiah 61. My whole being shall exalt my God. And as I read these words, I let my imagination run riot. And I imagine that as Mary pours out these words to Elizabeth, I think they are dancing and laughing and clasping hands as if they were children and gently, because they're pregnant, spinning each other round and round as if they did when they were children, clapping and laughing with dizzy joy. So with that in mind, I'm just going to read these beautiful words again and picture. You may have a, a, you've got a different imagination to me. It may well be a different thing that you see. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. When did you last feel captivated by utter joy? Perhaps it's been a long time. Maybe joy for yourself or joy for someone else. And what did you do to celebrate? Celebration is something that the Jewish community really know how to do. Through dance, rhythm, Laughter, shouts, ritual, and somehow we, we lack this, I think, in the UK. Um, we also lack the, the freedom to be spontaneous, 
to shout or break into a dance without feeling a bit silly. But we do have little ways. We might punch the air or we might offer a hug or send a card or maybe feel really moved. That, that, I don't know if you feel this, but there's a little bit of emotional joy that I feel in that first line of, O come all ye faithful. Um, but sadly, joy can elude us at Christmas for many, many reasons. We can become absorbed in preparation. And then there's sadnesses, personal sadnesses, stress in family relationships and their expectations, our own busyness and pressure that comes in the countdown of these last few days. Are you ready? We might ask one another. And for some it is a season of pressure where surely everyone must be happy and sometimes we're, we're not and we can't make ourselves happy. But, as Aslan in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe tells us, there is a deeper magic. There is a joy that transcends the worldly perception of Christmas. And I think we see this in Elizabeth and Mary with her utter joy and celebration. And it's such a moment it's such a moment of saying to us humans that yes, yes, this is really happening. It's a little bit like the moment where Mary met Jesus in the garden at the resurrection. Yes, yes, he's really alive. And these three months would have been a special and, and very needed time for Mary. It would have been a time of preparation and transition from one life to the next. And I think the first important thing about this was that they were able to be fully immersed in their joy away from the, the rest of the world. They were free to celebrate and rejoice. And for Elizabeth, things would have been a bit strange, I think, with um, the loss of Zechariah's voice. They wouldn't have had that freedom to talk about what was happening, to fully celebrate. So it must have been lovely for Elizabeth to engage in this with Mary as well. Secondly, I think it would have given Mary and Elizabeth time to reflect on their experiences, perhaps a time to remember the days of their youth, their own parents, time to talk about their symptoms, their morning sickness. When does it end, Elizabeth? What would giving birth be like? And maybe their conversation would reflect all the amazing things that God had done for them, and maybe they're down-to-earth human issues and fears, all, all mingled into one, because this was about God and about man, his mighty arm outstretched and their everyday fears and anxieties. And thirdly, it would have been a time of preparation to physically grow as pregnancies progressed and to prepare to complete the task that God had set before, before them. And for Mary, it would have been an affirming time of God's call on her life, the assurance of his presence with her. And these were hidden away days to enable her to deliver the promised one to the watching, waiting world. So what can we learn of this time of preparation? What can we do in these few days left before we arrive at Bethlehem? But it's really important to make time to reflect. 
and to keep the Christmas scriptures alive. We hear them every year, and they can become routine. It's, it's that time of year again. But we can ask the Holy Spirit to lead us into a fresh experience of Christmas. And perhaps already our focus has been drawn to one thing. Maybe this year it might be shepherds or angels or the simplicity of the baby in the manger. What is God saying to you and to me very specifically this Christmas? What does he want to draw our attention to? And how might, how might we enter into the real joy of our Savior who will be born, the Savior who will come back, he will return one day, and one day we will all be doing a little dance, I think. I think we'll forget our inhibitions because the Savior will be returned. <laughs> and perhaps all this begins in the heart, I think it does. Spending some time with God in simple, quiet, maybe hidden away celebration quiet delight, opening our hearts in gratitude with readiness so that we can receive this indescribable gift. And perhaps we will be prepared afresh to receive this gift, Jesus, and present and proclaim this indescribable gift to the watching, waiting world around us. May we too bubble up and bubble over with joy. Let's pray. God of all hope and joy, will you help us to open our hearts in welcome that your Son, Jesus Christ, at his coming may find in us a dwelling place prepared for himself who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.